0: Thank you, Daniel. I knew that y'all were doing the I Am a Seed song. So I wrote my sermon that way. So give me a few minutes. I gotta transpose <laughs> back to we're soil. <laughs> just kidding. Um, that that really sets us up well. In fact, all the worship, I uh as I sat there, I just thought, man, there's a good illustration, there's a good illustration. But if it comes to me during it, but otherwise, uh just every week we're led so wonderfully. Uh, uh, through our singing uh, into the word. And so I pray that your hearts are, are prepared. Uh, my name is Greg Bowers. Uh, hey, thanks. Wow. that's That was almost the reception I got in the first service, but it was the youth over here. So I don't know who's here, but thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> your voice is very deep. Um, uh, my name is Greg Bowers. I work with the youth here. I'm a youth pastor and uh, excited uh, just to be on staff and to be here. I, I, you guys probably uh, know that looking in that this is just a unique place. Um, our staff is unique. The church is unique. Uh, we got here in 2005, uh, joined, became members, started working with youth. We're involved in a small group, just, uh, immediately found this place to be home. And, uh, we're, we're glad to be here. I finished seminary in 2007 and started looking for a job and, and uh, in youth ministry we knew that I, I wanted to be a youth pastor, but just really couldn't find a place, um, that, that we wanted to call home. And, um, the, the previous churches that I've been in, uh, I, I love the people. I, I really, uh, it's a blessing to be there. But a lesson that I learned is I, I want to be in a church where I want to raise my family. And that really uh, creates some, some unique problems for, for us professional pastors. We, we may end up going somewhere that uh, we may not be called to or that, that, are, that would struggle for our families. And so I want to encourage you guys, especially those of you preparing for, seminary, uh, for, for ministry in seminary, uh, to to be mindful of that, uh, you know, be patient, wait on God, and uh, make sure that you're at a place where you would you would choose to be for your family and for your sake, uh, for your soul's sake. Uh, but we we found that place here, and by God's grace, uh, he he created a, a niche for us, a place to serve, and so we came on staff in 2008. I belabor that and say all that to say that that regardless of whether I had a job here or not, this is this is my home, this is my church. Um, I hope it can be yours, but. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, we're, we're glad that you're here. Um, hopefully you got a chance to stop by the welcome tent out in the, the parking lot. If you didn't, make sure you, you do that. That gives us a great opportunity just to get to know you, to, to uh, know how we can care better for you, and to uh, maybe follow up and have some more conversations just to see where you're at and what we can do to best serve and care and love you. Uh, so the tent's right outside the door. You'll see it on your way out. Um, since I'm here, that means Larry is not. Uh, Larry is preaching uh, the baccalaureate service at his daughter's high school this afternoon, Franklinton High. And so uh, I would ask you just to be in prayer for him. Hopefully you're, you already do that. Uh, but, but pray as he will be sharing uh, God's great message, the gospel of Jesus to, uh, to students uh, very, very freely and very openly. So it's a blessing uh, to be in that situation. Um, uh, pray also for our staff we, uh, As you heard, uh, Jeff Doyle is on sabbatical uh, Starting last week Stephanie Jackson starts sabbatical tomorrow So um, we, uh, we will see how that goes Stephanie is a, is a workhorse She does things behind the scenes that nobody knows about But that also means that she'll do the best At handing her jobs off So it's kind of a, a win-win um, But if you're planning a coup uh, This next coming six weeks, and months or so Is probably a good time to, to do that just let me know soon enough, I'll stay home that day. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we're thankful for our, our, our people to be able to get a rest. Uh, pray for them, pray for our staff. We, we love you guys and, and, and need your prayers. Um, speaking of prayer, why don't, we, why don't we pray together as we get started? Father, even in the passage we're looking at today, we, um, we see the need for soil to be prepared to receive the seed, the word. And uh, so God, even now I pray that you've gone before us, that you've prepared hearts and minds, Father, maybe some for the first time to hear the good news, uh, maybe some of us who need to to refine our understanding, maybe some who just need some heart change, uh, Lord, some reminders. And so uh, wherever each person is at, God, we, we know that you're sovereign over that and that you're faithful, and God, that you have something for each of us today. So I pray your word will not return void, we pray that... Um, your will will be done among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, many of you may have heard of a man named Jay Vernon McGee. Uh, he uh, is a radio pastor, was a radio pastor. Um, he was a, a, also a pastor who um, had a radio ministry, I guess. Uh, in 1967, he began a, a Bible teaching called Through the Bible, and uh, over the years, it, it progressed to where it was a five-year study that took people through the Bible uh, as part of his as part of this radio show. Uh, he has a very distinct voice. It's kind of real old and gnarled. And I'm Jay Vernon McGee, and that's the best you're gonna get. But um, uh, he uh just an ama- a really neat guy. Uh, he he passed away in 1988. I didn't even know that. I I didn't start listening to his radio show till. Like ninety-seven or ninety-eight, and so he'd been he'd been dead almost ten years at that point. But but his legacy lives on in his in his teaching of the word, uh, very devotional, very uh, very good for especially for a radio ministry like that. It's been translated; it's, it's on four hundred radio stations in America and in North America. It's been translated in over a hundred languages, and uh, so the word going out um, that way is just really amazing. Uh, he uh, has this really neat little poem uh, attached to his teaching on our section today, uh, Matthew thirteen that. I think it's at least a fun place to start. He says, when you get to heaven, you will likely view many folk there who will be shocked to you, but don't act surprised or even show a care, for they might be a little shocked to see you there. Um, we, uh, our passage today is dealing a little bit with uh, the nature of salvation, the nature of the knowledge of God and um, Not so much about assurance of faith, but we certainly want to know who's in, who's out. What does it mean for someone to be a Christian? Uh, uh, Matthew thirteen, our passage is is one of those very sobering um, passages that reminds us that those who may look like Christians um, can sometimes not be Christians. We handled another passage like that several weeks ago, uh, where Jesus, um, uh, in right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter seven. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, uh, the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then he will declare, and and then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Uh, Very sobering, uh, very, very um, strange passage, but in light of our passage today, very, very similar Uh, I, especially working with youth, I can't help but think that as I look back over my many years of ministry and even over our current students, uh, that we can have people, uh, we train people to look like Christians, to act like Christians, uh, but some of them who really, who really haven't. And so our passage today is going to give us some insight into, to what that looks like. Um, but most importantly, um, who God is in the midst of that and then maybe what some, some, some ideas on what we can do in light of that. Uh, because of some technical things in our passage, I think it would be very important for us to review a little bit about what's been going on in Matthew, uh, real briefly, but uh, hopefully you've been following along, I'm going to encourage you, uh, we're going to continue, obviously, studying this and reading it, so um, at your, in your homes, with your families, be studying, be, be reading ahead, be looking back, um, children, if you're in here. I'm, uh, tell your parents that you want to read Matthew tonight and tell them you want to go back and you want to look at all of the places where it says the kingdom of heaven is near or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, so there you go. That'll be something fun to do. Um, but it'll get you in the Word. That's, that's a, a key theme that's going on in our passage. Another big theme, um, probably the main theme, is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He's saying that he's the promised one. And Matthew is giving us every clue that we possibly can uh, every clue that he possibly can uh, to, to, to reveal that to us. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one of the Old Testament. He's the king. Uh, it's our yearly focus as a church, to draw near to the good and mighty king. And so we've, we've looked at Matthew to, to try and help, with, help us with that. And Matthew gives us, at this, up to this point, at least seven prophecies that have been fulfilled by Christ, by his coming. Um, not only that, the genealogy that points to Jesus being the promised seed, the son, um, all of these things point to this, this new covenant that God has fulfilled uh, His promises in Christ. That everything is yes in Christ, and so we um, we come to this place. Uh, another big theme, though, is the Pharisees' reaction, and because of the Pharisees' leadership of all of the Jews, the Jewish people, uh, the Pharisees, and those who follow them, their reaction. Uh, what has been their reaction? Well, it's been one of rejection. They've rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Um, the, the strength of their rejection is seen most in Matthew 12, 14, where they go out and they plot to kill Jesus. Uh, but even Jesus rejects them when he uh, 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 gives the woes to the cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Um, uh, so Jesus has, has equally rejected them uh, and said, um, you've seen these miracles, you've, you've seen me among you, the kingdom is at hand, I am it, yes, in Christ. And they are blind to it. They don't see it. Um, so they say, we want, another, we want another sign. And he says, great. Um, the sign of Jonah, which at first read is just, what? That's, that's just weird. But Larry did a great job of explaining that. Uh, the sign of Jonah is just Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, which they haven't even seen yet. Uh, but, but looking back, they're going to go, oh, he, he, was the, he is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. And so as we get to where we're at now... Um, Jesus is uh, going to teach them. And um, I think the best thing would be is just to jump right in. Matthew 13. Um, we'll try and move a little bit slowly. Because um, there is some, some, I guess, technical things I want to at least point out. Uh, let's read Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day Jesus went out of the house... And sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. From the very beginning, we're given a clue that context matters. It says that same day. So so Jesus is just, this is just kind of a slice of life uh, going on. We're reminded um, of what has happened before, that Jesus has just had a a pretty intense uh, run-in with the Pharisees um, over the Sabbath, over how he's leading his disciples. Um, And again, the the Pharisees are plotting to kill him. Um, So it's that same day that this happened. And he comes out of this house. Uh, and he goes and he sits down beside the sea. It's interesting that he sits on the, on the beach, and then when the crowds push in, he goes and he sits on the, on the boat. He, he climbs on this boat and he sits down. And uh, basically, that's just the, the, the sign to the people that he was about to teach. That was natural for a rabbi of that day to, to do. If he was, was going to be preaching, to, to do some kind of proclamation, he would stand, be prophetic. But for, for teaching... Uh, he would sit, and this was a clue that, that Jesus was getting ready to teach. Now, interestingly enough, they've, uh, they've seen the Sermon on the Mount. They, they've, if, not, if, if they weren't there themselves, they at least heard a word has spread of Jesus and his ministry there. And so great crowds are coming. Even uh, the Gospel of Mark records that a uh, town upon town was coming out to see Jesus, so much so that uh, as they pushed in on him, he had to climb in a boat and use that as his pulpit. So many people are coming to hear Jesus. Um, And here's what he teaches. Oh, and interestingly enough, I think as well, uh, the, uh, note the difference between this type of teaching and the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's, a, it's a stark con- uh, c- uh, contrast, a, a, a great difference uh, between how Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount and how he's going to teach here. Uh, obviously, it's in parables. We'll, we'll look in a second at why parables. Um, but they're a very unique type of parable as well. Um, not uh, if, you'll, if you'll kind of contrast this with uh, other parables like the lost coin, um, the lost uh, sheep, and the lost son, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the stories had uh, a moral, they had a, a point that Jesus was trying to, to make. These obviously have a point as well, but it's, it's veiled, it's very hidden. Um, and so uh, he, he begins to teach them. He says, A sower uh, went out to sow, um, the sower had some seed. Uh, but, but in all the uh, examples, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty sloppy, right? There seems like there's only one place that the seed was supposed to go, the good soil. Um, but on the way, the, the sower kind of maybe dribbled a few here and, and bobbled a few there and uh, kind of spilled it out um, all over the place. In my mind, I see uh, maybe one of the, the, you know, the green broadcast spreaders uh, that everybody has. It usually says Scott's. I'm not advertising, but if they want to uh, give me an endorsement, I'll take it. Um, but it's the green broadcast spreader. And uh, whenever I use those, I, I usually like make a mess even trying to get it in there. So there's seed all over the ground. I, I put it in the spreader. And then as I start to push, I realize that it's open. And so it's starting to shoot out all over the place. And it gets some on the driveway and I get some on the, on the sidewalk. And uh, come springtime, uh, you've got chia driveway and chia sidewalk growing up and, and grass everywhere that you didn't want it. But, um, but it doesn't last, right? It, it, it's, it's pretty easy to... To pull away. But but that's kind of what we see here is, is just a, a, a farmer, a sower. Uh, maybe maybe they didn't have broadcast spreaders back then, I don't think. So maybe he's got like one of the hip bags I'm, I'm envisioning now, Johnny Appleseed, you know, the, the, the low-hanging bag. And they go and they kind of fill it up with the seed. And so it's just kind of hanging there. And any, any movement, any reach toward the bag is going to maybe spill a little bit out. You guys know the bag I'm talking about. Nowadays, uh, after we've moved past the agrarian society, I think newspaper boys, Use their newspapers. They throw newspaper. They they deliver newspapers from them. I want my two dollars, and then um, women put babies in them. Now, you guys, you guys see that, right? The the thing. Okay. Well, that's what we're. That's what I'm envisioning because because as this sower goes, uh, some of it is uh, falling on the path, and some of it is falling along rocky soil, and some of it is, is falling along thorns. Um. Uh. uh interesting. Uh. The, the name of this parable. Um. The great commentator Jesus is going to tell us it's called the parable of the sower in a few more verses. I'm going to go with his, his definition, but in my study, I I so wanted to call it maybe the parable of the soil. Um, Some people have called it the parable of the crazy farmer Um, and then uh, possibly the parable of the prodigal farmer, which we'll talk about at the end, but uh, it's a pretty sloppy farmer. Nonetheless, he's, he's uh, not afraid to, to cast and sow seed um, very liberally, very openly. So Uh, But there are four conditions, four um, soils that are going on. And because of those soils, we have four different outcomes. Uh, First, there's seed that falls along the path. Uh, It never gets a chance to even sprout before the birds come along and eat the seeds. Um, I visited those people that were up on the screen earlier um, in Southeast Asia this fall. And we were able to go out to a rice paddy and walk around. And there, there were clearly places where you should walk where the paths were, and there were clearly places where you should swim, where the deep water was, and they were planting rice. The, the farmers out there had deep way, uh, hip waders. Uh, the, the paths were packed down. They were clearly marked. You, you knew where that was. There was no intention for seed to be there. It wasn't going to sprout. It wasn't going to produce fruit. Secondly, we have seeds that fall on rocky ground. Uh, we've all seen this before. It's the, the chia sidewalk example. Um, we actually had a, a tree growing in our back rain gutter. Uh, I hadn't cleaned my gutters out for very long. I guess an acorn or some type of seed fell down in there. And so I got a small little tree, about this tall, growing on the back of my house. Uh, not good. I felt like a really bad homeowner. Um, but I got back there and I, you know, uh, it, it's not like a tree even in the, in the ground. I mean, you just barely give that thing a tug and it pulls right up. Uh, it doesn't have a root. Nothing, nothing really to hold it down. No, no kind of foundation. Uh, Pretty easy, just to to pop right up. Uh, Jesus says because of the lack of depth, that's actually why they they shoot right up, they grow quick. But when the sun comes, it scorches it and it withers away. Then he describes another uh, set of seed that falls among the thorns. Um, This is another unintended location. Um, And uh, the seed seems to germinate normally. Uh, It begins to grow, it flourishes, but it doesn't produce any fruit. Unfortunately, before it can produce fruit... Thorns raise up, choke it out, and, and kill this plant. And then finally, we come to the intended target of uh, the good soil, the place where the seed was supposed to go, and it produces grain. He uh, says, hundred, sixty, and, and thirty. I, I think that just means a whole lot, a lot and some. Um, it's it's a, a lot. It was a, a, a hundred would have been a, a great harvest uh, from just a, just one seed. In this, in this example of these soils, the, the, the outcomes, um, I, I do believe that we see a series of stages of, of the plant. Uh, pre-germination, one seed doesn't even germinate, one seed, nothing happens. Uh, it's just a seed, the birds come, they pluck it away, it's, it's gone. Then we see a, a tender shoot, something that just shoots up out of the ground real fast. Um, may, you know, almost every plant usually starts out with the two little leaves, so it's probably just some little small thing and, and as soon as the heat, as soon as the outward pressure hits it, uh, it's gonna wither up, it's gonna die away. Uh, then we see one that's, that's really starting to, to take root, that's really starting to flourish, the one among the thorns. Um, but it, it still doesn't uh, hit its intended need. It doesn't, it doesn't reach the point to where it produces anything. And then finally, we get the one that produces. Um, at the end of the parable, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. So if him sitting down to teach didn't give you a signal, at least at the end of this, he's now saying, if, if you understand, understand, if you have ears, hear, uh, that to me means there's something to hear here. Uh, I would love to know what a first century listener would have possibly heard. Maybe a really bad farming lesson, I don't know. But I, I'm convinced that uh, they at least knew that there was something that they should be listening to. Uh, we get a clue from that because the disciples step forward and they say, Jesus, what are you doing? Uh, let's look at our next section, uh, verses, uh, chapter 13, Verse 14. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant to follow along with this. Hopefully you have your Bibles. 14. Oh, I'm sorry, let's start in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. It says the disciples came to Jesus. Uh, Mark, again, gives us a little bit of insight and says that it's actually... The disciples and those with them, Uh, several times in the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, we see kind of the big D. I call them the big D disciples, the apostles, the twelve, and then we kind of have these little D disciples. An amazing story is in John chapter six, where it says the disciples were following Jesus and he was teaching on uh, basically that his that they were going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, evident you know pointing to communion, pointing to that he was going to have to to die and that that's that his blood would be uh, their salvation. And this was very disturbing to some of the people. They, they didn't understand it. And so it says many people turned from him at that point, but the disciples, uh, or it says many of the disciples left, uh, uses the, the term disciples, but he turns to the 12 and he says, what about you? And one of my favorite verses, he says, uh, Peter answers uh, one of the times he gets it right. And he says, uh, where else would we go, Jesus? Only you have the words of eternal life. Um, but those little D disciples are there, they're, they're kind of in the mix sometimes, so there's the crowds that are just kind of showing up to see what the show is, then there's these, the little D disciples, and then there's the 12 uh, that are there. But here we see that there are the disciples, not just the 12, but, but others who are there. And uh, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, uh, but to them it has not been given. Um, this word secrets... Um, basically possibly lends itself to uh, kind of an apocalyptic or an end times thought. It's some kind of secret that, um, that would point to uh, what, what they believed would be the apocalypse. And actually the connection there is that the Pharisees, this was, this was what they were teaching, that when Messiah came, it would be the end. Um, and so this, new, this teaching that Jesus is the secret and that Jesus is here now, that the, God, that the kingdom of God is at hand Uh, was what was such a such a scandal, such a stumbling block for them that they couldn't get over it. They could not see that Jesus uh, was who he was saying he was. Um, So they reject him. So the them in our passage obviously is is the Pharisees and their followers. Um, Probably not the entire Jewish nation, but at least all of those who at this point were following the Pharisees and 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 rejecting Christ as Messiah as well. Um, To where he says, but to them it has not been given. Uh, because of their lack of understanding of the Old Testament, they misunderstand the Messiah and his kingdom and are rejecting Jesus because of it. So Jesus, again, is ushering in the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Um, and uh, because of that, he's also rejecting them. We see that in the next verses, uh, Matthew 13, 14 through 16. Uh, it's a really, really tough uh, section of scripture. Um, one that that might even bring some controversy for you in your heart, and so I just want to ask you to to prayerfully consider um, these verses, think through them well, and uh, if you if you have any conversation or, or uh, insights, I'd love to to talk to you later about it. You buy the coffee, I'll be there. Um, but let's let's read this together. Um, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, "You will indeed hear." but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people, people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. I'm going to tell you this only as a joke. I didn't say it in the first service. Is Larry in here? Excellent. Don't tell him I said this. Um, I uh, I had prepared my sermon. I had worked really hard on it, and Larry was going to take me to uh, coffee on Thursday and, and kind of, help me out talk about it a little bit and um he said as soon as and it, actually what he said was I'm going to help you string the pearls. We're going to we're going to put your thoughts in order and make sure that they go in one direction and not just kind of spill them out all over the ground. And uh, I said great, this is going to be great. So we go over to the fig and we walk in and we sit down and he says, "What are you going to do with the word unless? Or what are you going to do with the word otherwise?" I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, right here in in this verse it says, um for his people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear." And their eyes they have closed. Otherwise, uh, the NIV says otherwise, they should see with their, ear, their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. I would heal them. He said, it seems like to me this is saying, uh, Jesus is teaching in parables. I, he's, Jesus is saying, I'm teaching in parables because otherwise they would understand the gospel and I would have to heal them. And I'm like... Man, I, this was so far off my radar. I didn't notice that. I didn't see that. This is an Old Testament prophecy. We're just going to kind of go, hey, this is prophecy. Jesus is the Messiah and move on. So uh, roadblock. Larry said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I don't know. What are you going to do with it? Um, if you know Larry, that's king of returning the, ch- the question. Um, but no, with our con- it, obviously then it, it shook me a little bit. And it's still, it's still very shaking. But in our context... Um, this is clearly judgment on the Pharisees and on anyone who would j- reject Christ. Romans 1 says, we are all without excuse. We don't, we don't, uh, God just doesn't blind our eyes and send us to hell willy-nilly. That, that's, uh, that is not our God. Um, but unfortunately, by, through the power of sin, uh, people choose uh, to remain in their sin. They choose to be blinded. They choose to not hear. Um, and so that's what we see here. Uh, Jesus has has condemned the Pharisees and con- condemned those. And he's used an, used an interesting uh, passage in Isaiah uh, to do it. Um, it. It's very clear in Isaiah. It's actually a little bit harsher um, in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It's, it's, it's there if you'd like to look at it. But uh, if you keep reading in Isaiah, um, it is God condemning. It's God uh, judging the nation of Israel. Uh, but then we see... Uh, one, of, one of God's most gracious acts, his relenting of his judgment in chapter 7 of Isaiah, just after this, and it restores our promise, it re- restores our understanding of the seed that is to come. And here's that promise, Isaiah seven fourteen. he says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. The kingdom of heaven is near. No matter how many promises God has made, the answer is yes in Christ. And that's what Matthew is teaching us. Jesus is the Messiah. Would you like for me to prove it? Stick out your hand, man whose hand was withered. Be gone, demons. Stop, storm. I I don't know what else the Pharisees could have wanted, but somehow they came back to Jesus and they said, We want proof. I can't help but think Jesus said, what did I just do? Where were you? I, I just did it. And so he says, great. I did all these things. Your sins are forgiven. But here's, here's one more sign. The sign of Jonah will come. And uh, I can't help but think at that point that they, they still continued. Obviously, they still continued in their blindness and in their deafness. And to them, it probably just sounded like wah, wah, wah. Uh, the sign of Jonah. Similar to the way it sounded to me when I first read the word sign of Jonah. But um. That truth is veiled. They don't understand. And so this judgment is, is clear uh, on the Pharisees that the, the old way, the Old Testament, what, what God had done has now been fulfilled in Christ. And that we are, we are moving toward this new covenant of grace because of Christ. His fulfillment of the prophecy and his leading a sinless uh, life to die on our behalf to give us his righteousness. Um, that is the gospel, and that's what the Pharisees are rejecting, and that is what God is judging here. Um, so, um, so the disciples, when they come at the end of this, um, he tells them, but blessed are your eyes. So, so they're concerned about the other people, they're, they're, they're worried, but he said, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Blessed are your eyes. Uh, several weeks ago, Larry was talking, he, he, he kind of used this as an illustration. Uh, Martha uh, makes this confession uh, of Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's in John 11. Um, but, but she is blessed Uh, Jesus tells her she is blessed because she recognizes that he is Messiah. Uh, Peter, his other time that he gets it right, I quoted the other one earlier. I I guess Peter gets it more than twice, but a broken clock's right twice a day, and here's Peter's second. Um, He says in Matthew 16, 13, in a couple weeks, we'll probably be be studying that. um, Jesus looks and says, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Uh, And they answered him. They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Your eyes are blessed. And he tells Peter that, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Um, so, so Peter is blessed. He understands. He hears and he knows. Um, and we'll begin to see more people through the New Testament who began to hear and understand Blessed are those who hear and understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. When we get to our explanation, Jesus' explanation of the parable, that's going to be key. Who hears it? And most most importantly, who understands? Um, This entire passage, this this section of Scripture, uh, uh, Matthew 13, 10 through uh, 17, has been called the parable of privilege. It's saying that the disciples, big D, little d, the twelve and the many that are with them, are, are those that are privileged enough to have their ears open and their eyes to see uh, who Jesus really is. Um, it's also called the great aside, kind of like a sidebar to a judge, uh, because Jesus is, is in the middle of his teaching, and it seems like maybe they just pulled him right away and said, hey, what's going on here? Uh, most people believe it, it, it fits here because he's going to explain in the context what this, what this parable means, uh, but, but this conversation maybe happened after Jesus had finished all of the, all of the teaching. Um, but the important, one of the important things, I think, Dale Bruner uh, is the commentary that, Jer, uh, that uh, Larry uses. Uh, he was gracious enough to point me to it. Um, Bruner says uh, something really amazing, I think, about this paragraph uh, that's going to be really important for us moving forward as we talk about the parable. He says this, It is put here, as we have seen, to forbid an interpretation of the parable that would give credit to the soil rather than to the sower for the reception of the seed. If the responsibility to hear God's word is stressed excessively, meritoriously, or moralistically, what he means there is if, if, we, if I somehow were to teach that it's your responsibility to be good enough, to be right enough, to be smart enough, uh, to work harder, to be good soil, if I were to teach that, then this paragraph of privilege, privilege would correct that teaching by saying, it was not your doing that gave you hearing, it was the Lord's. And I think there's a real caution there for us to make sure that as we read this, as we understand it, uh, in no way are we saying that you can clean up your own life and come to Jesus. You need to, you need to be better soil. You need to be clean. You need to pull out the rocks. You need to pull up your thorns. Uh, you need to till up your path. I don't, I don't know. Um, that, that's that's clear, clearly not in view here. Um, the soil is receptive. It's, it's inanimate. It sits there. And it is blessed uh, to receive. Um, so uh, now we specifically come to Jesus' own explanation of the parable of the sower if you haven't got the joke yet um this is the one passage that i know of there's gonna be another one coming where jesus himself explains the parable so so larry trusted me enough to make sure that jesus was going to tell me what it means so i can't blow it so i really appreciate that jesus is our great commentator i I did read bruner bruner agrees with jesus so i agree with bruner we're all on the same page um, but Jesus is going to give us what, what a great blessing. Now, he doesn't really go too far with it. He doesn't explain it uh, uh, super in depth. Uh, but remember, again, remember the context here. Uh, the disciples have just gone out to, uh, to do a missionary journey. Jesus sent them out two by two. And so they've been, they've been doing this. And, and what was their message? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same message of Jesus uh, in Matthew 4, 17, at the beginning, when he first started his earthly ministry, uh, ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same message of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so they've gone out village by village, town by town, and they've taken this message. And it said, Jesus tells them beforehand, you may come up against opposition. If you do, shake the dust of that town off your feet, move on to the next town. So when they, re- when they meet this opposition, um, they come or when, when they've done this missionary journey, they come back and I can almost envision that this, this is kind of a debriefing. Hey guys, here's probably what you came into and here's what's happening in the hearts of these people. And so Jesus is gonna give this great explanation. Matthew uh, 13, uh, 18 and following, follow along. Hear then the parable of the sower, Jesus says. Um, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So let's spend a little bit of time just discussing uh, the different uh, metaphors, the different analogies. Uh, From the very beginning, uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, uh, we're immediately to see that as being the seed. The seed is the word. The word goes out. Jesus in John 1 is the word. Um, And so we can't can't help but know that this is uh, throughout the New Testament, the word of God, the word of the kingdom. Um, The word is that the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, The word is the gospel. Um, Jesus is saying, proclaim uh, that the seed is the gospel message. Uh, Mark makes that connection a little bit uh, more uh, specifically. Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, as Mark records it, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. And by the way, I am it, as we see in Matthew. Not me, Jesus. I think we're all clear on that. Um, so Mark is clear. Jesus, and, and there's no, really no mixing up here. We, we know that the seed uh, is the word. It's, it's the, the power of the gospel going out. Um, and so let's look at our four conditions, our four soils. Uh, the first is the path. Uh, it represents hard, a hard heart. It represents unreceptive heart, but it also represents Satan's schemes. This is this is something that sometimes we maybe tend to shy away from. It's a little supernatural, a little weird, but we have an enemy that is against us. And the schemes of the devil, um, he comes and he, he takes away uh, the gospel, the gospel from where it's been sown. Uh, there are um, roadblocks and uh, pressures and problems in people's lives that sometimes keep them from hearing uh, the gospel the way that um, we need to present it. And so sometimes our work in this area uh, is minute. we need to minister to these people. We need to love them. Um, we need to, as Jesus does, wash the disciples' feet. We need to wash their feet. We need to care for them um, and, and, and continue pursuing them. I guess I kind of made a quick jump there. Let me, let me back up for a second. Uh, we share in the work of the sower. Um, we, we are ministers of the gospel. Romans 10 uh, and other places say that. So the gospel is on our lips. We are uh, ministers of the gospel. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew is going to be very clear on our role and responsibility in taking the gospel to all the world, to all the nations. And so, um, as a part of, of this, um, sometimes it may mean that we need to be a part of people's lives in a way that we break up, we, we help break up some of that, uh, that hard ground. Uh, loving people well, pursuing them as Christ will pursue them, um, really, really lo- uh, lavishly, really graciously sometimes, um, maybe even sacrificially. Uh, so, we step in, we're a part of that. Um, but this person doesn't hear. They don't understand. And I think it's clear that this per, we would not consider this person to be a believer. They would not be a Christian. In fact, they probably, unless they got drug here this morning, that person may not be in this room. Uh, they're probably not within the sound of my voice. Uh, they're hard to the gospel. They're hard to church. They hate those Christians. They, they talk in language like that. Um, scoffers. Um, you, you, you probably know people like that. And I want to encourage you, uh, this passage doesn't give us any insight into their future. And so I don't think um, that we should give up on them. I don't think that this is set in stone, that that no change can happen. Um, If you have family like this, if you have loved ones, if you know someone and you're ministering to someone like this, be encouraged to continue doing that. Love them well, pursue them, and uh, and trust trust the sower. Uh, Trust our good and gracious God uh, to continue working in their heart. If something's gonna change, it will be by his power and might. And I, th- I think we all are clear on that. Um, our second, our second uh, uh, ground, our second condition is the rocky ground. Um, it says that tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. And that immediately this person falls away. Um, th- this is any kind of suffering, any kind of, of turmoil or struggle that comes into someone's life. Several years ago I was challenged uh, r- really by me. I had already been kind of thinking about this, but I went and I heard Matt Chandler speak. And, um, he, uh, he said that we've, we've fallen into this trap as the church. We, we, we knew that in the past we've taught the nature and character of God. And as we've moved away, we, we assume that our people have that. And so we start moving toward practical application. And, and as we get further and further away from the knowledge and nature and character of God, when we continue to assume that we get basically to some moralistic kind of weird teaching that, that just really ends up not being the gospel at all. Um, it ends up being what uh, a sociologist named Christian Smith calls therapeutic moralistic deism. Moral, I got those backwards, moralistic therapeutic deism. I'm going to explain what that means, moralistic therapeutic deism. Who Christian Smith is, he's a sociologist from Chapel Hill, he did a study, he uh, was given a large grant to do a study of teenage uh, religion in America, in North America, and as he studied this, all of the feedback that he got basically came back that they had some amalgamation of, Christi- of, of what seemed like Christianity, but was really that cosmic Santa Claus view of who God was. Uh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus Christ is coming to town. I, it's just really this mix of, of be good, don't be on the naughty list, be nice, and, and God will do good things. He's going to deliver for you on Christmas morning. And it, I think if, you, if you're honest with yourself and you think back to maybe as, as a child, This was probably the the understanding of what Christianity Christianity was, even for you. Chandler explains it in his book, The Explicit Gospel. Uh, It hit him kind of square in the face during a baptism service. This is a little bit of a long reading, so follow with me if you don't mind. Uh, My concern started on Saturday night at a celebration weekend several years ago. Our church was baptizing a great number of men and women who were publicly professing their belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As I walked into our auditorium, I was greeted by a hefty man. I don't know why he had to say hefty. But he was greeted by a hefty man in his early 20s. I took it personally. It wasn't me, by the way. He gave, he gave me a hug and then proceeded to tell me about a girl he had brought to hear the testimonies. With a bit of nervous glee, uh, he told me that he hadn't told her where he was bringing her and that she was really angry. And he wanted me to know in case, just in case something happened. Uh, so I sat down in the front row uh, with some anxiety and prayed that God would give me wisdom if this thing turned into a scene from Harry Potter, the unrated version. I'm a good interpreter of scripture and a passionate man when it comes to the gospel, but spells and curses and manifestations of demons are are out of my uh, comfort zone. About this time, the screen that obstructs the baptistry was raised and standing in the water were two women in their early thirties. Karen began to share her testimony. She was uh, she told us that for the last 15 years of her life, she had been heavily involved in the occult and witchcraft, and she began to list all the reasons Christ was better, more powerful, and more loving than anything or anyone else, especially compared with what she had witnessed and been a part of. I breathed a sigh of relief and knew that God was at work among us. Next, a young man in his early 20s was, uh, spoke about atheism, alcohol, Buddhism, drugs, and doubt, and then talked about how through the patience and persistence of a friend, the Holy Spirit has opened had opened his eyes to the truth of life in Christ and forgiveness through His cross. And here's where it, here's where it turns. But the next four baptisms bothered me, one after another. One after another, each person stirred the waters and told some variation of the same story. And here's their story. I grew up in church. I went to uh, every Sunday morning and night. We went to Wednesday night prayer, vacation Bible school, and youth camp. If the doors were open, we were there. I was baptized when I was six, seven, eight. But I didn't understand what the gospel was. And after a while, I lost interest in church and Jesus, and I started walking in open sin. Someone recently sat me down and explained or invited me to the church, and I heard the gospel for the first time. I was blown away. How did I miss that? Or they would say, no one ever taught me that. Uh, if you, I, I think it was our last baptism service. I sat in here with my kids. It was the one where we had it in here. And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful service. Many of the testimonies echoed that same sentiment. And I asked my children, my, my two children, as we left that night, I said, did anything stick out at you? And she and my daughter said, uh, she's 11. She said, yeah, everybody, seemed like everybody grew up in the church. Um, but now they're getting baptized, you know, later in life, 25, 26. Um, let me first say, what a beautiful testimony. There's no problem with that. Okay. Okay. Um, do not let, like we have a baptism service coming up. If that's your story, stick to it. I'm sorry, that just came in my head. Uh, If that's your story, fantastic. God is, uh, is gracious, God is loving, and, and has drawn you to himself, and celebrate that. Let's celebrate that together. Uh, Chandler's heart as a pastor and my heart as a pastor is to say, what, what are we doing wrong when people come up years later and say, I didn't really have a conversion? Something, something that, that I thought happened uh, didn't happen. And as, as a youth pastor, I don't lose much sleep, really. I, can't, I don't lose sleep. But if I did lose sleep, this would be something I would lose sleep over. I, I've, I've committed a lot of thought to that, and we've built our ministry around not allowing something like this to happen. Uh, we don't want to see children uh, come with joy, to receive the word with joy. But then when the first sign of, of suffering hits, that they, that they jump ship. In a talk that I heard uh, Chandler say, uh, speak years before this book came out, that's actually what he says. If you, if you bring kids up in this moralistic uh, atmosphere, you tell them, do good things, be good, uh, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't go to rated R movies, don't go see shows. You do all these things, and then kids grow up, they start thinking that they've got God in their debt. And if that sounds bad to you, it should. That's, we don't get God in our debt. God doesn't owe us. Uh, we have a debt and we can't pay it and we need God. Um, but what they, what they see is uh, that, that they start to, to, to do good things and that God's going to bless them and then let suffering hit. Let bad things happen. Let their grandmother get Alzheimer's. Let their marriage fall apart. Let their, mari- let their parents' marriage fall apart. Let something as simple as a boyfriend or girlfriend break up with them. And they'll shake their fist at heaven and they'll say, God, you owed me. I did all these things where are you? Uh, in your mind, if, that's, if, that's not, uh, if you don't know somebody, uh, I, I would be very surprised, but, but I do. I know far too many people and Facebook has put them right in front of my face. I, I go back through my life and I, I see uh, kids that I taught at NRCA or kids that were in youth groups from the past or uh, relationships from college, old jobs. Um, the, the, guy, the guy that the discipled me uh, I met with on a weekly basis. We read Christian books together. We, we prayed together. Um, had three girls break up with him in college. His mom got Alzheimer's. And uh, as he was forsaking the faith, he said, Greg, if this is the abundant life, I want a refund. Even in the language, I hear him saying, God owed me. He didn't pay up. I did all the good things. It breaks my heart. But I have to say that if that happened, he did not have understanding. The seed fell on rocky ground. It may have shot up quickly with joy, but there was no understanding. Those people are not believers. They're not what we would consider Christian. They are not followers of Christ. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, one other side note, they they have no root in themselves. I think that's a, a neat little phrase. Um, uh right there in the middle. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation comes, a persecution arises. I, I can't help, obviously that's, that's kind of a nod to another agricultural, uh, um, the, the uh, parable of the, the vine and the branches, uh, John 15. And we see uh, that, that you need to be rooted. We need to abide. We need to dwell in Christ. I also think this is a major nod to the church. Um, he had no root in himself. He needed... He needed others we, we need each other, and so uh, it's probably not in the Greek, but now it's in the English. Um, he has no root in himself, uh, so when suffering comes and tribulations come, a true understanding of the gospel will not be thwarted uh, by that a true understanding of, of who God is and of and that we share with Christ in his suffering. Um, if, if time permits you, sometime you can do a quick, quick study of, of sharing with Christ. Uh, Romans 8:17, 17, 1 Peter 4, 13, 2 Corinthians 1, 5, James 1, 2, and 4. Uh, plenty of places in Scripture that teach us uh, what the, 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 the nature of suffering and how as Christians we follow Christ in our suffering. Uh, some fell among the thorns. Um, Jesus tells us that that's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Worry and money, or worry of money. I don't know the, how, there, there's not a huge difference between the two, but, but cares of the world. Um, how are we going to make it? What's going to happen? Um, it, it doesn't seem like a real far cry from suffering. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it may seem even the same. <clears throat> even the same. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the uh, poster boy, unfortunately, for worry and money, um, was in Jesus' presence as he's teaching this. Uh, Judas who would later betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, um, was, was, was standing in his presence, walked with Christ, saw these miracles. Uh, I, 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 I almost can't imagine it. And yet the, the parable itself tells us that that's, that's what these people are like. They look like Christians. They act like Christians. They grow up in, in the field next to us, uh, but, but they lack the understanding of, of, of connecting that dot, the dots between not worrying and money. Uh, If you don't know Judas' story, he he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But Judas was the the treasurer of the disciples. And uh, there's an interesting little story in John chapter 12. Uh, It says, Jesus, uh, six days uh, before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, in case you need a reminder. So they gave dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray, betray Jesus, John tells us, said, "Why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor?" So so Judas has a great heart. He wants to give this money to the poor. 300 denarii would be like uh, almost a year's wage they could sell this this perfume for. Let's let's care for the poor, right? Ju- Judas is this no if we look at it, even John at this point knows, uh, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used it to, uh, to help himself, he used, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I'm astounded by that. I cannot imagine that this man who followed Jesus around, and yet I'm as wicked and, and diabolical in my own heart, I, I, you know, um, but, but here we have this image of, G, of Judas, uh, he was a warrior. He was, a, he was a, a, a greedy, as John says. And so worry and money uh, choke out the life of the gospel. They are, they are hindrances to knowledge of the gospel, and they keep someone understanding, from understanding the gospel. Uh, there's some similarities between the rocky ground, I think, and the thorns. Um, and it is that, that, and even the hard ground, all represent real threats to the gospel, um, to the truth of the gospel, Because so many times we rely on a fault, there there ends up being some type of false gospel. Um, Any gospel that doesn't teach uh, sufferings, um, any gospel that doesn't teach uh, to forsake worry and to forsake uh, financial gain, to, to not worry about those things, but in essence to trust God, any gospel that does that is a false gospel. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches should pale in comparison to knowing Christ. Paul tells us that in Philippians 3.8. My inheritance uh, uses this imagery. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If we don't have that heart, the heart that Paul has uh, for the things of Christ, uh, then worry of money, greed, greed will sneak in, we'll choke out the life of the gospel in our life. So these three people, the hard soil, uh, the, the um, rocky soil, and the thorns, uh, do not understand. Scripture is clear that they do not understand. And so they are not followers of Christ. They are outside of the kingdom. Not only that, they don't produce fruit, which I believe is a, is a testimony to their understanding. They are fruitless uh, in their acts. But we have the one that falls on good soil. And it does produce fruit. And it does uh, bring about its intended um, purpose. Uh, the good soil hears the word and it understands it. This is the follower of Christ. And this is the soil that's able to understand. Um, that brings all the difference. That is, that is the difference. Again, I, I mentioned this at the beginning with the hard path, with the hard ground. The, the, but I didn't say it as much with the rocky or the, um, uh, or the thorns. You may be ministering to people. There's probably people in your mind right now that you're, you're seeing and thinking, oh, that's like this person, that's like this person. Again, um, we are under we are, we are sharing with Christ in the work of the sower. We are undersowers. sowers uh, I never could find that word. It's not in the Bible, but uh, <clears throat> just like under-shepherds, we, we work with Christ. We share uh, in his work. Um, don't give up on these people. Uh, as a takeaway this week, I want to ask you, encourage you to, to write some of these names down. Maybe share with your small group and pray for uh, these people that you have ministered to or, be, or need to minister to. Pray that God will have mercy on them and that he will break up their hard heart, their hard ground. That he will remove the rocks and the distractions and the sufferings. Um, well, I guess he doesn't remove suffering, but he will, he will break through the rocks and uh, teach them the true gospel that he will remove the thorns and allow them to not worry and to not, uh, to not struggle in those areas. Um, and that we will see fruit come about even from those, uh, that we're ministering to and, and with, um, as I wrap up this morning, I want to uh, just say a, a quick word about my, my preparation time. It was, uh, really fun, <clears throat> fun for me to do this. Um, I, I struggled with, uh, <clears throat> many things, but, um, one of them was just, just the name of, of the parable itself. It's historically called the parable of the sower. Um, many people have tried to rename it. I said that, you know, there's the crazy farmer and the prodigal farmer and uh, the parable of the soils. And, uh, but Jesus himself tells us it's called the parable of the sower. He says it uh, in verse 18. Here then the parable of the sower. Um, he doesn't reveal who the sower is, uh, at least not here. In a couple more passages, he's going to tell us that the sower... Uh, to the, in the wheat and the tares is the son of man, Uh, but here we're not given that. But all we get is a sower, a sower went out to sow, Um, uh, I'm sorry, in the Greek, I hate to say that, but I'm going to say it, in the Greek that the A is actually could be the, it could say the sower went out to sow. Jesus calls it the parable of the sower and all scripture is about Christ and his goodness. So as Matt Chandler says, what is the character and nature of God that we may need to learn from this passage? And I think it's that Jesus is the sower, and he's a crazy farmer. Uh, when, I, when I first started studying this, I, I immediately was reminded of a, a connection point for me. Have you guys, uh, you guys know what the word prodigal means? Any dictionary scholars out there? Immediately when I say that, you probably think it means, everybody I've asked this week thinks it means What? Wayward, lost, right? Prodigal son is lost, he's out. Um, actually, the word prodigal means wasteful. Uh, in that, in the prodigal son, the one word that it means he, he, when it says he took his father's uh, inheritance and he went and he, he wasted it on uh, riotous living, wild living, that wild living is prodigal. He was, he was crazy. Some people have tried to rename the, the parable of the, the prodigal son the parable of the prodigal father. And they've said that the the love of the father is so wasteful on this son. He gives his inheritance. The the, the son comes to him and says, dad, you won't die quick enough. Let me go ahead and have my money. Then he goes and he wastes that and the the son shows back up and the dad says, runs to him in the street, is waiting for him at the window, runs to him and says, "Bring, bring him another ring, bring him another robe. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's waste more money on this son. We have a prodigal God who is lavish with his seed, with the gospel message. So when I see this sower, he's the, he's the prodigal sower. He's wasteful. He's lavish. God reaches in and he casts seed out and it goes to the single mom in need of grace. It goes to the family that's so broken that, that no one else can possibly think that the gospel will dig deep. But it does. It goes to the woman who's lost an infant child and even in her suffering looks and says i wouldn't change a thing god has brought me closer to him through this that's our god the prodigal god who's lavish with the gospel seed and so so liberally pray for those who are lost and worship our prodigal god let's pray Father, we, we are humbled by your grace and mercy. Father, you're rich in mercy. You lavish it on us. The most profound way is through your son, Jesus. So God, I pray that we are moved.